Welcome to Hunger for Wholeness. I'm your host, Robert Nicastro. Today, we rejoin Elia and Bree Stoner as they share how they wrestle with egos encountered in both music and academia. Please enjoy the rest of their dialogue about insight, instincts, playfulness, and embodiment. saying about musicians but academics are about the absolute worst when it comes to ego possession stuff you know like yeah my position you know i've come across at least one theologian if not more and you'd be usually male quite honestly <laughs> you know very dogmatic about theology you know if i ask you know what do you think about terra digit and oh, i have no time for Teilhard. he wasn't a theologian <laughs> i'm like Okay, good to know, you know, you know, someone says, well, we should study blah, blah, you know, and it's just the way, you know, we're trained to possess our very highly structured and educated opinions and positions on things. Actually, we have shot ourselves in the foot because it becomes then a discipline that is not open to the creative future. It's not open to new ideas. One thing. You know, as you were talking to, well, two things. One is, unless you don't possess, right? This is another Franciscan value, like to live without possession, right? It's not having ideas or concepts. It's what we do with them. Do we possess them? Like, yes, this is it. This is the truth. This is absolutely where anything is. Or it's relative. It works, you know, but I'm really open to hear what you have to say. So it's the non-possessiveness, the living sine proprio, to use our Franciscan expression, without possessing, that allows us to be open to engage new ideas. Like, and to engage new ideas means you have to leave your home, you know, and you have to enter across the threshold of another, maybe a whole different worldview, a whole different universe. But isn't that the beauty of travel? <laughs> you know, we get to see, you know, what others are like in their worlds. Yeah. And I think if we're going to really move toward a planet of unity or oneness, we do need certainly a shift in how we're thinking about what we're thinking about. And then secondly, we need then an unlearning process of what we've learned. And then I think also a little right brain training, you know, in like getting in touch with the wider field of your senses and your body and your imagination. Yeah. Plus, all that you're talking about here, Brie, one thing, I think one word I'd like to you know, include here is intuition. Yeah. So you're not just taking, you know, just blind risks. We know, you know, and, and that's it, right? We feel. So I've always felt that feeling, and that's our energy direction, right? Our spiritual, quote unquote, direction. Like we feel more than we intellectually know sometimes. Yeah. You know, when you meet someone, you know, yeah, that's a really cool person or that, you know, really interesting, but I can't tell you why, you know, or why you might even like someone or fall in love with someone, you know, you may not have reasons like concrete, logical reasons, but you know that there's something really good there. And the same thing with ideas, you know, that they're good. So when we can free ourselves up, we can start exploring, you know, in this rhizomatic kind of texture of the learning process. That's right. And very, very adventurous and creative. It is. And I, I'm grinning that you brought up insight because I teach that the body's intelligence, true embodiment, is comprised of harmonizing your instinctual center with your insightful 
center. So the insight and instinct can come together at the seat of the will into creative action, which is so important. But yeah, I, I think that that, you know, that fear-based mindset, that, that risk-averse mindset is still so locked in this worldview of scarcity versus a worldview of abundance, right? It's also the mindset that says, I have to cling to these beliefs because I don't know what those beliefs are and not knowing scares me. When in reality, if we're in humility, we're in curiosity. And if we're curious, we're playful. So this is one of the words that I use. I'm always doing these terrible alliterations, Ilya. I don't, I don't know what's gotten into me, but I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm talking about reframing the erotic and I'm like a life of pleasure and presence and playful possibility. It's like, oh my God, shut up. But anyway, but the idea of playfulness is rooted in humility, the humility to say, I don't know. And that's what allows me to be flexible and collaborative. Now I'm thinking about times when I'm in the studio, you know, I'm working on my next record right now. And if I if I go in with the absurd like audacity to think that I know exactly how this song needs to be produced, well, then I'm missing the opportunity to allow this song to be enlivened by, you know, the the drummer that we hired to come in or my producer's instincts or the insight of an engineer who says, you know, I think we should use this mic, not that one. So it's really playfulness is at the heart of our capacity to connect, to connect with each other and to connect with that creative possibility. If we're not playful, then we're unable to imagine more because we're so certain, you know, we're locked away with our certitudes and we're, we're unable to collaborate with others or be enriched by others into that greater fullness, that wholeness of being. We tend to associate play with children. You know, children play, adults work. And yet there's something, I mean, Jesus said, unless you become like a little child, you know, you really can't enter this reign of God, this new kingdom that's coming about. And there's something about that, right? You know, the yeah. openness. And I, I find play an open system. Yeah. You know, it, it's the openness to what, you know, any possibilities. And I too, I, I you know, I used to love to play and invent things. So I probably was heavily right brain before a few head injuries. And then I got a little left brain and maybe <laughs> balancing now or something. <laughs> <laughs> humility is also a really important virtue here you know to hummus to to stand on the earth to be earthy sure. two feet on the ground you know so i'm not i'm not floating in the air like i'm someone really really important that you have no idea who you're talking to you know <laughs> Heard wasn't even a theologian <laughs> i really don't care <laughs> you know so i it's so sad but i'm so Unimpressed by anyone's credentials. I mean, I, <laughs> I am so unimpressed by, I, I could care less where you went to school. Very nice. You know, what you make great, you know, so what do you do for a living? <laughs> I'm interested in people, you know, how they're thinking about things. I'm interested in, you know, their openness to new ideas and in, in what they feel about being a human person in today's world. I do think one of the things, you know, that's important to bring in here, you kind of mentioned along the way is you know, I'm very interested. We are here at the center in the way technology is kind of reforming the human person. And, you know, I've met people who had the television on, like Fox News at five in the morning, 
And they're listening to news stations like all day. You know, they're like wired with latest information. And these news feeds are just so unhealthy. It's like they might be tied into pharmaceutical companies because like as they wear down your health, you will need blood pressure medication and heart medication. (laughs) They're going to wear you away. (laughs) You know, we can't somehow disconnect ourselves. Like it's like the FOMO thing, the fear of missing out. Like I've got to be attentive because just in case, Uh you know, Korea blows us up, I want to make sure my family is ready. (laughs) (laughs) That ain't going to happen, you know? So here's the irony of it all. We are so worried that we're not going to make it into tomorrow. We're actually killing ourselves. That's right. That's right. And therefore, if we could, you know, in a sense, slow down and take some of the incredible, you know, wisdom that you're putting forth here and these ideas of, you know, being right-brained and being attuned to our intuitions and and being open and playful, we would actually have probably a, a more sustainable earth and perhaps a greater shot at a sustainable future. But we're unraveling ourselves precisely based on these structured left brain launched ideas about rightness or wrongness, about who's in and who's out, about, you know, who has power. I mean, knowledge is power. And so we've made these, we've made knowing, we've taken it out of play and intuition and creativity, and we've lodged it into positions of power and wealth and status. Like the, the knowledgeable ones are, you know, the ones who control the world. Yep. And it leaves everyone else out. This is really, really unhealthy. You know, this not only unhealthy, we have the potential for a new unity. And we also have the potential to completely unravel ourselves. Next, Ilya and Bree talk about technology and how a centered, grounded spirituality helps us navigate a challenging world. And later, Ilya asks Bree how we can move beyond racism. topic of technology is is very top of mind for me right now because I have a 13-year-old who is the only one in his class who hasn't had a phone and doesn't have a phone. The only one in his class for like the last, I think it's been two years now where he's he's just lagging behind. And, and so the, the conversation keeps coming up about technology. And, and again, I want to come back to the two paradigms that, that Bruteau describes, the, the paradigm of domination versus the paradigm of communion, which I think is the creative paradigm, the abundant paradigm. So when we are in domination mindset, we are thinking about power over. How can information help me have power over the unknown, power over my body, power over your body, power over the earth? How can I get the most out of this? How can I, you know, how can I ravage, just get the most profit? So power over always functions in a pyramid structure in which there are not enough places at the top. So it elicits fear. It cultivates fear. It propagates fear. It runs on fear. But the paradigm of communion runs on that rhizomatic view that we are all of us connected and in a non-hierarchical way are co-creating possibility through love and through the adventure of becoming. So it runs on a different OS, on a different operating system. Yeah. 
So I don't have an issue with technology. I think it's about us learning to discern, is this particular tool or app, am I operating from a domination paradigm? Am I using Instagram to try to have power over or project some image of myself that makes me feel more secure or I'm trying to get validation? Or am I using this app or this technology in a way that's oriented toward power with, that's co-creative, that's communal, that's about enlivening others and giving myself away to enliven others. Yes. So I think I think that discernment helps me. And, you know, maybe it's helpful to listeners as well is that really that's kind of where I'm trying to navigate these questions. It's like, all right, is this putting me in domination? Am I acting out of that structure? Or or how can I move into communion paradigm in this facet? Yeah. And that's a really important point, Brie, that you bring up because in a sense, if I hear correctly, what we're saying is the way we use technology cannot be based entirely on technology itself, since technology is simply something we create to extend you know, our function, so to speak. So we need other values and other tools. And here's where I do think spirituality or theology or religion or whatever, you know, your inner operating system needs to be kind of fully functioning yeah. in a holistic way. So that when we use technology, we're using it out of that internal operating system of holism. <laughs> so instead of looking for the whole outside myself, I already, in a sense, am operating from within myself, you know, with a view and an energy of interconnectivity. So I'm using technology to help deepen that interconnectivity. But I think when we start using technology to supply what we lack, <laughs> then we have problems. Then we have problems of power. We have problems of manipulation, including the way we manipulate ourselves. We can create our own social profiles and, you know, kind of scale and buffer what we are and make ourselves look super cool and wealthy and beautiful and, you know, smart and all that kind of stuff. And we can also tear everyone else down, right? So technology has infinite power really to do whatever we want it to do. Exactly. I was I'm jumping in because exactly what you're saying is true of religion. It's like when we use religion or spirituality to supply what we don't have, that same truth applies. So it's really about the energy that you are bringing to any of these systems. These are just circuitries. These are tools and circuitries. You are the voltage. And are you running on love or are you running on fear? And that's the difference for me. You are the voltage. That's a great line. And here's what I want to say that, you know, this little plug for my new book. That this word God, you know, we're taking God out of the sky, but then where do we find God? We find God at the root reality of our lives. So God is the name of that, you know, infinite field of, we might say, the infinite field of love energy that's already, the, you know, already rooting us in our own lives. Kind of that Mertonian idea, you know, like, you know, if I go within myself, uh, you know, all the way to that infinite depth of self, I find the I am or, you know, in the Sufi mystics language, you know, if I ask, who are you, O Lord? He says, yourself. And that's it. I don't think we realize the divine nature of our own selves, right? Because we have divine nature as an ontologically distinct nature. 
And that ontologically distinct nature is the source of the problems of all other ontological distinctions. <laughs> so if we could find that the root, you know, that, that power of love, infinite love, divine love is already the source of our lives. And we can, you know, maybe kind of plug into that center. Yeah. We can use technology and, you know, our other creative inventions for a way that deepens what we already are. <laughs> we're quickly exiting what we are because we're, we, we're throwing our attention and our devotion to what technology can do for us. Look at chat GPT. Now I don't have to think anymore. I just type in, what do you think of this podcast? <laughs> and chat GPT is going to tell me in a way that I can't, won't be able to decipher from one of my students. And that's, you know, how did we get here? How did we get to this point where we're really thinning ourselves out and relying so much when we have so much at the heart of ourselves? You know, and this is where I think religion has said, no, you're not God. So, you know, don't even bother going there. You know, God is not part and parcel of this material world. God is over this world and make sure you get that straight. And as long as we have that theology, we will exit Homo sapiens for sure. And we don't know where we're going, you know, with technology. Yeah. I mean, and I'm mindful of how you used, is it hummus? Is that the origin of humility? Yes. Feet on the ground. I, I just love that you said that because it is, you know, all circuitries need to be grounded. Yes. Or work with electricity, that would be true. Yeah. <laughs> so what ground, what is the ground? What where are you grounding? And it's through that rootedness, literally on the earth for me. Like my feet on the ground. I make it a practice. I love that you were talking about like think with your feet. I try to make it a practice multiple times throughout the day to feel my feet, to envision root systems growing out of my feet into the earth itself in that relational wholeness as love, as God, as relationality, with the human and more than human world. Yes. With the ancestors who've come before me, with this whole unfolding ecological story that I'm a part of, it's in that place that I can touch upon that non-contingent worth, the strength of that I am, that then allows me to have my own center, because part of it, too, is that we're so uncentered and ungrounded that we're just going along with whatever technology or social media or, you know, the news is telling us to think. One last thing. That I was thinking of, and I just finished this class on faith, reason, and culture with my undergrads. And we talked about racism. And, you know, I find it really deeply, deeply disturbing where we are still on the question of racism. And the way, you know, white people have this sense of privilege, you know, like, why should we talk about racism, you know, or black people just want their rights or this type thing. And it's just like, this is just terrible. I mean, this is just completely against all that we're talking about, which is God, you know, divine energy, divine love at the heart of every person, the beauty that every person has to offer to this creative flow towards greater wholeness. And so what might be, you know, as we look to move into the future, what kind of wisdom would you give to the, the question of, you know, how do we move beyond racism? And one person said, we'll never get beyond racism. And I don't think that's true. I think we will. 
I think yeah. there's a great desire to get beyond racism, cer- certainly among younger generations. But we need to shift. And again, we have to shift our focus, maybe realign our operating systems with the energies of life and the core energy of love, to use a Teoridian term. And we have to begin to see one another with new eyes, you know. Yeah, I'm a big fan and student of Nigerian philosopher Bayo Okomolafe and his work. He has a, a book called The Wilds Beyond Our Fences. And one of the things he talks about as it pertains to racism is that we have to learn to face the monstrous, not as problematic, but as the opportunity. The crack, the fissure that's running through our reality right now is actually the site of birth and possibility. And so so part of his orientation that I'm learning from is to turn toward the monstrous in myself, turn toward that inherited racism in myself. But I think to take it one step further, it's not just enough to acknowledge it or to talk about it. I really think that the key is for us to learn how to remember, to become membered to our bodies once more intimately, because I think the the domination paradigm that we have inherited as white people has been one of disembodiment, one of control over the body, control of, of other bodies, right? So the mindset of disembodiment allows you to be separate from yourself, which allows you to then exert violence on the bodies of others. I'm thinking of a line of, I think it's Eve Ensler who said, you know, the most radical act we can do in the face of domination is to plug back into our bodies. Because when we are embodied, we will relate to ourselves and each other from embodiment. And I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but it's something along those lines. So I think the work is really about coming home to ourselves as being members of the whole in a very visceral, active way to face the monstrous within us, not as a problem, but as an opportunity. Yes. No, I really like what you're saying here. And I do think returning to the body as the beginning of a creative healing yeah, and move beyond this terrible racist mentality. And there's something about that body. You know, I was always attracted to Emmanuel Levinas' idea of the face, the human face, as the trace of divine transcendence. You know, that place that this face or this little face, (laughs) you know, that divine love, you know, like an icon shining through this face, this black face, this red face, this brown face, you know, this distorted face, this this disabled face, you know, and, and there's something about that. And then I also thought, when we meet one another, do we meet one another eye to eye? Do we look at one another in the eye? Because I don't think you can seriously look at a person within the eye and do them harm, you know? If you see the eye, if you truly see, you know, not just physical eye. I mean, we have to look with deeper sight, with deeper eyes. And so I was thinking recently, for some reason, I was thinking of George Floyd, you know, and that horrific act of, you know, a white policeman kneeling on his neck and he's saying, I can't breathe. You know, I can't breathe. I heard Jesus, you know, and the same, I can't, you know, I can't breathe. Mm -hmm. Who are we? to take the life of another from a position of power. Who are we? And I think we want to talk about evil. You know, evil's not a thing. Evil's what happens when the body becomes disconnected yeah. from the spirit. Yeah, what happened? 
when the body becomes just mere matter. Yeah. And if we don't get our heads around that matter matters to the wholeness of love, to the wholeness of what God is, then we shouldn't be. We Maybe we really should be just computer chips. Many thanks to Bree Stoner for the inspirational energy and music she brought to this conversation with Ilya Delio. Next week, we dialogue with author and Episcopal priest Barbara Brown-Taylor. If you support Hunger for Wholeness on Patreon, you'll find new listening notes, episode transcripts, and other great content produced by our team at the Center for Christogenesis to deepen your experience. As always, a special thanks to our partners at the Fetzer Institute. I'm Robert Nicastro. Thanks for listening.